go ahead. <clears throat> so you can use as much time as you want, but do not feel pressure to have to go all the way till 7 if you don't want to. But then at 7, we will probably become restless. So, so you're saying I can't use as much time as I want. Sounds good, sounds good. Well, I hope that we can get done before then. Um, today, I'm going to start off with a story. Um, find it. This story, some of you who are here Thursday evening, we at least talked about. Um, but this story took place uh, in Dayton, Tennessee, 82 years and 25, 20... Uh, see, today's the 23rd, right? It was the 5th of July in 1925 that this happened. And um, this story is known as, it's a court case. It is called the Scopes-Darrow case. It is also known as the Scopes-Monkey trial. And the trial, the issue of the trial is, or was, is that um, a high school teacher named John Scopes uh, was indicted for preaching, or not preaching, for teaching the theory of evolution in a Tennessee high school biology class. And Tennessee, a couple years before, passed something called the Butler Act, which said that that was illegal and you were not allowed to do so. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that story just because it gives an interesting case study in um, American history. United States history of this conflict between um, Christianity and science. And I think as we kind of go over, and I'm just going to go over a timeline of the events leading up to this, but what occurred in Tennessee in that um, hot July month kind of was a profound change in the views of um, of the country at large at the relationship between Christianity and science. And I think since that time, that relationship has become much worse than perhaps it had ever been beforehand. Um, so our story starts before then. In 1859, um, is Charles Darwin proposed the idea that each species well, so in biology, uh, there was the, it was basically assumed um, because of the book of Genesis that each species is independently created. So the idea is that each species was on its own created. So dogs were created and cats were created and alligators were created and lizards were created and monkeys were created and birds were, and each type of species of bird was created distinctly all at the same time. In 1859, Darwin proposed that this idea that had been commonly held up to this point uh, was erroneous. And he did this in his first book, The Origin of the Species. In 1871, Darwin, in his second book, The Descent of Man, argued that man is descended from a hairy-tailed quadruped. So the idea that is not only is this idea that each species was independently created erroneous, that mankind itself um, was descended from what we would consider, or what was considered at the time to be a lesser being. So uh, essentially this is the idea that um, a hairy-tailed quadruped would essentially be a monkey, right? So the idea is that mankind, Darwin proposes, is descended from a lesser creature. 
1914, so we jump forward, uh, George William Hunters, um, a civic biology, describes evolution as the belief that simple life forms slowly and gradually gave rise to those more complex. And so the theory of evolution uh, is changed just a little bit, or it evolves a little bit, to basically come to mean that as less, all lesser uh, species eventually and slowly and gradually or over time gave rise to more complex species. In 1921, um, William Jennings Bryan becomes the leader of an anti-evolution uh, movement. William Jennings Bryan at one point was vice president. He ran for president and was also the secretary of state um, and was well known throughout the entire nation. Um, and he became a leader as part of an anti-evolution moment and was quoted of saying, it is better to trust the rock of ages than to know the age of rocks. It is better to know the heavenly father than to know how far the stars and the heavens are apart. And so William Stunning Bryan was known um, as a known anti-evolutionist. And then, and that's so in 1921, William Stunning Bryan gave that quote. On January 21st, 1925, Representative Butler of Tennessee proposed a law prohibiting the teaching of any theory that denies the story of the divine creation of man as taught in the Bible and instead teaches that man is descended from a lower order of animals. On January 26, 1925, so five days later, this was approved in the Tennessee House 71 to 5, and on March 13, 1925, it was approved in the Tennessee Senate Legislature 24 to 6. On May 4, 1925, the ACLU puts out in the Tennessee newspaper an ad looking for teachers willing to challenge the law. In it, they said that we think this, a friendly test can be arranged without the teacher losing their job and are looking for someone to volunteer. So the ACLU put out a request that a, some teacher in Tennessee be willing to violate the law so that they could bring it to court because they didn't believe it to be ju uh, just under the United States Constitution. So it was May 4, 1925. On May 5, 1925, a group of town leaders in Dayton, Tennessee, hatched a plan to bring the case to Dayton to generate publicity and asked 24-year-old John Thomas Scopes to be indicted on behalf of, of the, so that even though he was only a substitute biology teacher and can never, could not actually remember if he ever taught the topic. So John Scopes was a science teacher and football coach for the local high school. At one point, he was a, um, a substitute teacher for the biology class and cannot actually remember afterwards um, whether or not he even teached the theory that was in question, um, but because they wanted a case, he was willing to say, yeah, I probably teached it. Um, on May 12, 1925, uh, William Jennings Bryan, who we talked about earlier, agreed to join the prosecution, ensuring national attention. Darrow and Mullane joined the defense. So William Jennings Bryan was an, older sh was an old man at the time. Uh, they knew about the case and agreed to be part of the prosecuting team 
and essentially here, both the town of Dayton, both the prosecution and the defense are trying to make this as big of a deal as possible. They're trying to bring national attention on this one case of evolution being taught in a high school. On May 25, Scopes uh, is indicted by um, the state of Tennessee. And from May into July 1925, the city of Dayton prepares for the media onslaught that they're expecting. And they set up um, a camp for people coming to visit. They roped off the area in front of the courtroom to be kind of a public mall. They put up a stage for public addresses outside. And they set up for the first time in American history, United States history, a radio broadcast to live broadcast the court case. And it, the live broadcast was going over phone lines and there's a statistic that uh, in that time period, um, the cost of doing so was very high to be live casting over the phones, this radio broadcast. July 10, at the start of the trial, Judge Ralston opens in prayer. July 13, the, in the defense opening speech, um, the Darrow, uh, the defender for Scopes, um, argued that the law violated the United States Constitution's freedom of religion. And they find, in his words, we find here a brazen and bold attempt to destroy learning as has never been seen even in the Middle Ages. July 14, defense attorney Darrow objects to the opening of prayer and Judge Ralston overrules, um, citing that what the ministers are saying is not uh, in any way for or opposed to the case at hand, um, and so overrules, and so they continue to prayer and opening. On July 15, the judge overrules the motion to have the law deemed unconstitutional as it gives no preference to any particular religion. Um, and so, the original argument by Darrow was that this violates the freedom of religion, and the judge says that the law does not primarily help nor hinder any specific religion. Um, and then the defense pleads not guilty, Scope, so he claimed that Scopes did not violate the law. And the prosecution um, calls to the stand the superintendent of the school and two students on whether uh, the theory was taught, and the uh, defendant said, yes, he did teach the theory of evolution in their high school class. The defense, um, their first calling to the stand, questioned zoologist Maynard, uh, and I, my handwriting is so bad as you guys referenced last week, I cannot recognize his last name. Um, and he testified, this zoologist testified that evolution is a widely embraced theory in the scientific community. And so, uh, just to kind of point out here, the prosecution in this case um, is prosecuting the violation of the law that whether or not you could teach it. And so they have people to say, yes, he was teaching this law that the, st law, that the state law says you cannot teach. And the defense did not argue against that he had taught it. In fact, they had, as we know and have heard, he was volunteered to say, yes, I can say that I taught it, so I can be. What they did is they brought a zoologist who was describing how it's widely accepted in the scientific community. On July 17, the judge ruled in favor of the prosecution that any expert testimony by scientists should be barred. 
Um, and the idea behind barring any expert testimony from scientific individuals is that it has no bearing on the case. Um, uh, argues that their opinions on evolutionary theory itself shed no light on the matter of the trial, whether or not Scopes violated Tennessee law. So again, the law is not whether or not the question that Scopes is being indicted for is not whether or not evolution is true or not, or valid or not, it's whether or not he violated Tennessee law. So rules the judge. On July 20, uh, the defense, so the defense for Scopes, asked Williams Jennings Bryan, part of the prosecuting team, to go to the stand as a biblical expert, which this is kind of unusual when it comes to court cases. You don't, but since they had no one else to ask to the stand anymore, so they asked Bryan himself to go to stand. Asked Brian to go serious, and then, so Darrow, the defense attorney, asked Brian a series of questions about whether the Bible should be interpreted literally. And the kind of questions he asks are about the various miracles in the Bible, um, the virgin birth, creation, things like this, and whether or not we should interpret these things literally. After many questions, Brian eventually, rather than answering, accused Darrow of making a slur at the Bible to which Darrow mocked Brian and said, uh, and mocked Brian for full ideas that no intelligent American Christian believes. The defense then asks for a guilty verdict. So the defense, again, scope side, asks at this point in the case, give us a guilty verdict so that we can just appeal this to a higher court. So just kind of end the case from this point onwards. And then after a nine-minute deliberation, Scopes is found guilty of violating Tennessee law and fined $100, which would be about $1,700 nowadays. Five days later, William Jennings Bryan died in his sleep in Dayton, Tennessee. Then on January 15, 1927, Tennessee Supreme Court law says the law is constitutional but overturns the scope verdict on a technicality. Essentially, the judge was not allowed by Tennessee court law to assign such a fine. It had to be done by the jury at the time. And so on a technicality, they uphold the state law but then say Scopes is, does not have to pay his fine. And they do this in the words of, in the, words of the Supreme uh, Court Justice who, um, in his words, so that we can end the life of this bizarre case. In May 17, 1967, the Tennessee law, so we have jumped forward uh, 42 years, I think, at this point. The Tennessee law is repealed. In 1968, in Emerson versus Arkansas, Supreme Court strikes down a law banning the teaching of evolution in the state of Arkansas. And in McLean versus Arkansas, the Arkansas Board of Education, U.S. District Judge strikes down a law requiring public schools to give balanced treatment to evolution and creationism. So in this story, and this is what we learned through our church history lesson, is so this case, this Scopes-Brian case, in some sense can be viewed as a victory for um, what were considered the fundamentalists at the time. Um, so the fundamentalists would say, yes, you interpret the Bible literally. Um, so Williams Jennings Bryan would consider himself a, fun, a fundamentalist. And um, Darrow argues that no tr 
and no intelligent American Christian would believe these things. Darrow is appealing to the movement of what was called the modernists, and what's saying that you were not supposed to hold such a literal interpretation of the Bible. Um, and so in this, he's not technically arguing that all of the Bible is wrong, or Christianity is not exists, or that God is not real per se, um, but ultimately it's compromising on the truths of the scriptures. And what the case, what served to occur based on this case is the Williamson and Bryan, um, because of the way that the case was broadcast and because of the line of questioning involved and because of some very effective writing by um, uh, a number of reporters who were not pro Christian, who were atheistic. Uh, what basically turns to happen here in July of 1925 is essentially the United States public views fundamentalists as um, people who are intolerant, uh, people who do not, um, who believe antiquated and unscientific things, um, who check their brains at the door, who believe things blindly, and in, ge in general are, um, and in general, this proved to be a great detriment. Um, our, it, it's easy to look at this case as not so much of a victory as, as the fundamentalists might have hoped um, in the case. And so we come to a situation in which uh, a big event was made out of this. It was intentionally made up to be a big event and focused on by both sides. And it came out under the understanding and under the court of public opinion um, that, you know what, maybe, uh, maybe this literal interpretation of the scriptures is just unscientific in general, is ultimately what the nation seems to have decided as we're looking at history. And so, um, Nowadays, I, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure, I cannot remember what grade or what biology class we get introduced into this theory of evolution, but it is just kind of assumed. Um, there is no idea, at least in any of the public schooling that I went to, maybe you're, if you guys can remember anything different, but uh, a theory of evolution is the only thing that they would teach. Now granted, we don't spend a ton of time on it, um, but that's, there was not another option. They, were never, they never brought up this idea of creationism or anything like that. Um, and so this question of evolution is in at least our American history, it's in our evangelical history, it's a very interesting one. It's a very recent one and it's one that is still going on today. And you could perhaps make the argument or it seems to be the argument that we would consider to be the most obvious conflict between Christianity and science. Um, a, as I was doing my research, I found a, uh, a paper, a, a scientific paper in the National Library of Medicine, Science, and, and, and the National Library of Medicine called, titled Science and Evolution, and this was written in 2005. Um, and I'm just going to, I just have a couple excerpts from it. And in its thesis, it states that evolution is both a um, a fact and a theory. Evolution is a wildly objective, is widely observed in, um, 
biology and natural populations as change over time. So basically they're going to say the fact part of evolution is that you can see in small populations of changing. And they use an example of, for example, we require a new flu vaccine every single year because that is the flu vaccine and it is evolving and previous vaccines no longer work for it. And that is evolution in the sense of that flu vaccine does change over time as populations of the thing change. And then they also describe that evolution is also a theory in that it explains other things that is observed in science. And so they go on um, throughout a couple places to show uh, that, and the, that the fossil record, so if you look into the, so they believe, or um, science would say that uh, they can tell based on where they're looking in the soil and how deep they go that some fossils are a certain age and some fossils are another age. So if they look at the fossils that they say are a billion years old, then they can only find single-celled organisms. And if they look at fossils that are 500 million years old, they don't find any mammals in anything in there. And then they only find mammals after 500 million years of age. And so because of this fossil record, one way that you can explain it, or the theory that most completely explains this, so they say, is this theory of evolution. So that I things that were really old, there was, the only reason we can't find mammals from that far back is because there weren't any mammals. They're only less complex organisms. And they keep going forwards and forwards and forwards until we get to today. And they, um, and so they see this as a fact and a theory. And so and that's not um, too strange. They, use the, they go in to describe this idea of theory as something that is tested um, and that only something that can be observed or that can be scientifically observed is a fact. And a theory can never become a fact and because um, a theory can be tested, but it can never be... Uh, scientifically observed in science. And so they would use the example here that if I drop a pen, the fact is, is that it fell, and to describe that fact, we have the theory of gravity. And so, they're so gravity is a theory, however, you cannot technically observe gravity. So they use that as an example between a theory and a fact in this paper. And then, um, and so then, they go in here and they kind of describe Darwin's specific theory with two points. So the theory of evolution kind of falls under these two specific points. The first one being, um, excuse me, um, from one generation to the next, natural populations change over time by a process of natural selection. This is the kind of evolution that they would call a fact. This is the kind of evolution in which they see the changing of a flu virus from one year to the next necessitating a new vaccine. And then the second part is that all organisms have a common ancestor, and the time since the last common ancestor lived is inversely proportional to the similarities that the organisms will share today. So uh, what that basically means is that uh, the theory is stating that all things that are alive today shared a common ancestor. And because, as we can clearly see, there's a wide difference between me and, say, a frog or me and a plant, the amount of time between me and that frog's shared ancestor 
is even further back compared to where me and that plant's shared ancestor would be. So for example, just to kind of give you a visual image here, so if this is me and this is, uh, we'll go for the tree, the plant here, um, they would say that I go to say some kind of creature which goes to some kind of creature, which goes to some kind of creature, and the tree goes back to some kind of creature. And eventually, where me and the tree meet is some shared ancestor. And depending on how many times it takes, is how long, the more times it takes to get to that point, is the increase in length of time, is what they would say. Whereas, say, us and a monkey, a modern-day chimpanzee, we are more similar, and so the amount of time between us and the monkey shared ancestor comes sooner. So this is essentially the theory of evolution that uh, Darwin would have described. And then um, they would say that things have changed a little bit since then. Um, they would say that under modern, uh, this is Darwin's theory, the change to this Darwin's theory primarily comes around as we look at microbiology, they would say that random evolution occurs as opposed to natural selection at the microbiological level, but we don't need to get into that. Um, so, and then they argue, and so they're, so they talk in this paper about um, people who would disagree with this theory. Um, they very, very quickly uh, describe them as unscientific. Um, essentially, what they would say is um, that to disagree with this scientific theory would be to be anti-scientific in general, um, and that you can see the rise of anti-vaxxers and flat earthers openly demonstrates the anti-science um, mindset um, in modern day society. And so here we get just as it said in 1925, um, essentially if you are to dispute the scientific theory in just about any way, they immediately compare you not to someone with perhaps rational disagreements, but perhaps as the same as those who would be opposed to the idea that the earth is round as opposed to the earth being flat. And so they're essentially saying, you're foolish if you would have any problems with this. And um, they would, and they bring up the, so uh, they bring up the argument that many of their critics would have is that scientists, scientists in general discredit evidence that goes against the theory of revolution or any of those example, They discredit science and they would respond that no, we do not do so. We discredit scientifically untestable theories and expectations that are not found using the scientific method. So they don't, they would claim that they don't believe in such conspiracies, but any conspiracies um, that are not based on science are therefore unscientific. And so those are what they discredit. And implicitly kind of in the paper was this idea of, uh, again, wherever that argument is going, they're saying that to kind of go against this theory is unscientific in general. 
Um, and then they would say, a single well-designed experiment performed in accordance with the utmost scientific standards is what it takes to put any scientific theory to rest. Divine creation will never be a part of science because science is not able to detect supernatural phenomena. This is in their paper. Divine phenomena explains everything equally. Hence, it provides no real explanatory, and then in this they have in parentheses, or predictive power. If we accept God's will as an adequate explanation for natural phenomenon, we eliminate the possibility of eventually being able to explain it naturally. Thus, the scientific revolution began when we eliminated the divine as a scientific explanation. This says nothing about whether or not, and so this is the part that I thought was interesting. So just to kind of get what, so what they're saying there is because um, they're making this argument that to say divine will or to say God's divine will, that explains everything equally, they would say. And it's hard for me to find an easy way to understand or describe exactly what they mean that defines everything equally. But basically what they're saying is if you just attribute in your arguing against scientific evolution, if you just attribute something to say divine will. So say, for example, I argue that... Um, uh, so one argument that I would have against evolution, for example, and this is just the one that I've always held on to that I haven't uh, fleshed out a bunch, but basically the idea is that, well, just because there are similarities between these two things does not mean that they were not designed that way, perhaps, and that I don't believe that the, th that the theory that something has to go so the idea that something a billion years ago, I would argue that our Earth isn't even a billion years old based on what I'm reading from the scriptures and understanding things. And perhaps God just decided to only to put fossils in that were of a certain biological status. So single-celled organisms to mammals, or perhaps they haven't found things yet. And I would say then that by God, by his divine will, is the way that I'm arguing this, um, chose to create our earth with age, to create our earth such that it appears to have a certain age based on uh, radioactive decomposition or layers of a tree. I think that he made Adam and Eve grown up. I think that he made trees grown up, that he made animals not just as eggs or uh, single-celled organisms, that he created creatures independently grown up. And we've had evolution in those God-made creatures since then. Um, and so dogs and history are a little bit different than dogs now and horses a hundred years ago are a little bit different than horses now. I'm totally fine that God created a fully functioning world and ecosystem that we were supposed to maintain and take care of and treat well and watch over as it changed over time and that we were supposed to grow with it and the curse makes it so that things not so good. So I, but they would just say that divine will then what you're just doing by saying that uh, by explaining, by saying of the divine, that I am ruling out the ability that I can never explain it naturally, by natural means. And in that, there seems to be the implication that they can explain everything by natural means. Um, and we would perhaps argue that no, as the created, you cannot understand the creator. So there's differences here. As you, I'm hoping to see that you can tell that there is tension between this point of view and what we would hold to be uh, our truthful point of view. And then so um, 
then they would go on to say, and this part was kind of interesting to me, they said this in their conclusion, this theory, this, so the theory of evolution, says nothing about whether God created or did not create the world. Our science is unable to distinguish a divinely guided evolution from, an un, from a materialistic evolution. So they admit here in the conclusion of this paper that their theory of evolution cannot explain or cannot say to the positive or negative whether or not a God created the earth. It does not say, they cannot differentiate between a divinely ordered evolution and a materialistic evolution. So I thought that was an interesting conclusion. And then science is not concerned with the why or the who, but only the how. So they said this at the end of their paper. Um, and then uh, as they're going into the last part, uh, evolution versus creation, uh, debates in the classroom, and then they say blind criticism is just as bad as blind acceptance. And the idea that all debates are equally scientific is misleading, and it explains the sad emergence of flat earthers and anti-vaxxers. A fruitful debate in science class is restricted to those issues that are within the scientific realm. So what they're doing at the end here is they're saying that um, uh, they're passing the buck, so to speak. So they admit and recognize that they cannot prove nor disprove the existence of God with the evolutionary theory, but then they also then say that this is an unfruitful discussion in a science class anyway, because science should only be focused on uh, issues of science, things that they say can be practically observed, um, and that any, uh, that blind criticism of evolution is the same thing as blind acceptance. Um, and this is the cause of uh, people who, the sad emergence of flat earthers and anti-vaxxers. So this is, so what have we kind of gone over here? Yes, that is the word that they used in the paper. Yes, 2005 was when this was written. Um, and, uh, yeah. So in, in that, they're using anti-vaxxers and flat earthers as synonymously as unscientific people, is how they're using that description. Um, because they would argue that they are ignoring clear science in the use of the paper, right? Um, so, how then do you respond to that? So how do you respond? Because there's a couple clear things that I want to point out. They do not say, and they admit that they cannot prove nor disprove the existence of God by this theory of evolution, right? Um, and so, you could, and I think this is what some of the modernists were doing, during uh, the 1925 time period, and this is why some people are okay with this idea um, that if science and if you can just say that, well, God could have used evolution, science can't disprove that it was a divinely guided evolution, and that's fine. Um, so that is something that you could get from the paper, but and I don't know how to ask this question, but Let's just go into what your thoughts are. I have something that I'm thinking of, but I want to see if you get to it as well. So what are your initial thoughts from what we've gone over?
John. Well, my my initial thought is is that they've got anti-vaxxers and flat earthers and creationists in the same boat. They don't belong. <laughs> because first place you've got anti-vaxxers that are also evolutionists, you know, and you got flat earthers that just totally ignore all of the science from whatever, in, including portions of scripture. So, um, we don't belong in the same camp. Sorry. <laughs> and there's some really good scientists out there that could be a lot, do a lot better job than I can about at least talking about the th different theories. Yes, thank you. And I'm glad that you have voiced the same irritation that I myself feel. Um, so yeah, at the very onset is there is an assumption of unscientificness or there's an assumption of, I'm just gonna call it an assumption of foolishness is assumed by the paper. Are there any other thoughts? Not about any handwriting or anything like that. So yeah, so there's an assumption of foolishness by um, persons or individuals who would have issue with their ideas. Donna first and then Phil. It's a pretty weak man's argument to say, to lump the people who believe in creation with the anti-vaxxers and the flat earthers. They couldn't prove their point any other way than glumping them together and insulting them, it shows me they don't have a very strong argument if they have to resort to that. And have we seen any new improved humans show up in the last 2,000 years? Or new improved, some animal that didn't exist before that wasn't specifically bred? like a zebra and a horse, have we seen other kinds of new things that just happened accidentally in the last 2,000 years? And how can you prove, you can't prove that God doesn't exist. If they can't prove or disprove that he was involved in creation, how can they prove or disprove he didn't just make the world to begin with? There's a bunch of huge logic flaws in some of their arguments. Phil's next, and then we'll get to you. Well, as a substitute teacher, and being in a number of different schools, and having opportunity to sit in, I mean, not a lot of science classes, but some, um, there were times when, just personally talking with students, there have been times when I asked, you know, do you, do you believe in evolution? Because that was kind of what was on the handout that they were working on. And I have yet to have a student answer that they do. I, I'm, that's just my personal experience. It's not a proof text, but. Sure, sure. Uh, Ancidence don't, does not equate evidence, but yes, there's very true that it's, it's not easily believable, perhaps. 
I am so torn because it's 1901 on my watch. So, so, so if you if you want to go, you're dismissed because of our time. So that's so you're free. Okay, you're free. That being said, Donna, 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 you committed the worst. To quote one of my favorite movies, the only worst argument is to get on a land war with Asia. You know, <laughs> the the. The, the point you made are, is exactly the truth, but we, you fell exactly into their trap. Their trap is that for you to ever argue from a divine will is proof that you're not operating in the scientific realm. And so we fell right exactly into the trap of that paper. That paper wants us to say, it's, it's putting boundaries around the argument, and it's it's making us like they're not picking, right? That's what, when you pick people from the opposition that are wacky, that's not picking, right? So that's why they call us flat earthers. But we sound like nuts when we don't understand what they're actually trying to assert. And I think, I think we have to be more shrewd than to go right to the fact that well, there's no evidence of animals changing today, they would just laugh at you because you haven't heard their theory. Their theory is millions and millions of years. So it can't be visible now. By definition, their theory already rules out the possibility of observing it in process because they theory needs time. And so by definition, we don't have that much time in our own lives or history. So that point falls you what I'm saying? It falls like an arrow off of a of a tank. It's just not going to penetrate their armor. But what we just have to understand that they're relegating their study to the realm of nature, and our defense needs to demonstrate that we recognize the distinction between supernatural and nature. If we if we come in like the guy who, like at the beginning, the guy who was quoted as saying, God cares more about the rock of ages than the ages of the rock. He made a religious observation, and it's, it isn't. It's true, yes, but it's not scientifically true because he wasn't talking about science. He was talking about something greater than science, greater than nature. And the evolutionist is operating in naturalism, in the natural realm. And the introduction of the supernatural has to come from a different vantage point. We have to approach the issue from a different thing. You can't argue from the fossil record into Adam and Eve any more than you can prove from the fossil record that there wasn't an Adam and Eve. And the paper is right that you can't assert these things of the why or the who through science. You have to look at the how. And if we let them play, if they set the rules and we don't recognize, wait a minute, you're putting me in a box. You don't live in just the how. You also live in the why and the who. And so that's a different topic. Let's talk about that in a different way we have to get them out of their naturalism because if we let them set the boundaries, that the argument has to stay there. It's, it is just a fruitless debate in science class. It really is.
a fruitless debate. We have to pull them out of the reality and say, where did life come from? I don't care anything else. Where did life come from? Where did personality come from? Where did love come from? Those things can't be answered, and yet we all know that they're true. And so I don't need to win in his scientific realm because the world is bigger than just nature. The universe, is, it's got God in it, over it, too. You see what I'm trying to say? The point, if you're not careful, you get sucked right into being the nut that they describe. It's a, it's a dirty trick Satan does, right? He said, these are the rules. You can't play by any other way. And he, on purpose, suppresses the knowledge of God. And then down in there, we get all upset, and we, 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 we try to argue from the fossil record, and we have to prove them wrong, and it's, it's the wrong camp. It's the wrong, you, you see what I'm trying to say? But it's 1906. Oh, we already let people go. Attempting to close. But you keep holding back the microphone. Yes, and um, I, I did want, before I hand it to Maria, I did want to say that that's where I was trying to go. Um, and thank you for getting there way easier than I was going to be able to get there. Um, but this is the point that I want to make throughout this class, is that what we're not trying to do is look at, um, to try to prove these two scientists wrong, that no, your theory of evolution is wrong because you're misinterpreting this science or misinterpreting these facts. That's fighting what I think might be the wrong argument. And it's, uh, and, and you can look to that court case of the Scopes monkey trial, the super televised case in which um, the fundamentalists were certain that they had them, that everyone just assumes and understands and knows that the Bible has to be true. And in a case, um, they were tricked and they were shown to look ridiculous because they knew what they believed, but um, as a Presbyterian pastor at the time worried by the name of Jay Gresham Machen, what he worried was is that they did not know why they believed it. They could not argue why they actually believed what they believed, speaking of the average evangelical person in the United States at the time. And there's another thing that I wanted to quick point out here is that they clearly in this say that science can't answer the who or the why. And um, they are attempting to answer the how. And then they admit also that their how, they cannot say that it wasn't by a God doing stuff. They admit that they can't say that they can disprove that. When I was looking at some of our scientific topics, we talked about cases in which, yes, we cannot, they cannot talk about the why or the how, but there are therefore implications that they take this science and then people say, because of this science, then things happen. Because we are all have a shared ancestor based on this theory of evolution, because we are no different than monkeys, then therefore this. And then they go, they leave the realm of science and go into the realm of theology and moralism. Or against the rule of this paper, for example. And so this is what I kind of want to focus this class on as we go into the later topics in two weeks' times, is what we're kind of, we t for example, we talked about the science of gender. This is a case in which 
they are coming up with, or they are, there is a claim of scientific evidence that therefore conflicts against, it goes into the realm of uh, morality or holy scripture and says that what the scriptures say is indeed wrong. If you remember, if you remember from what we talked about in Genesis, the point of view of Genesis is not necessarily to talk exactly how old the earth is or exactly how he created everything. I happen to believe that there was individual creation, and I think there are other areas that we can look to in that, perhaps. But again, we are going to be concerned with where science leaves its own bounds and goes into the bounds that we cannot give up. In the beginning, God created. Science cannot go against that statement and without abandoning their own rationality. Mm -hmm. So we are at time. I want to close in prayer um, and then let you all really go. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we ask, Lord, that you provide us wisdom and you provide us insight and discernment, Lord. Lord, show us how to live. Because, Lord, you really do have the power um, to explain to us why things are the way they are. And, Lord, we know that you are the who. You are the one who created us and the one who loves us. And Lord, we recognize that we cannot do anything were it not be uh, by your strength and your divine will, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that um, you would encourage us and uh, provide for us good arguments and good teachers so that we can understand how, Lord, we can um, stand up for what we believe and why we believe it, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.